0: what's going on everybody welcome back to another episode of the hedging screens podcast as always i'm your host zach cronin i'm grateful that you would choose to spend some time here with me today i hope everybody is healthy mentally physically and emotionally i hope that everybody is enjoying the uh the warm weather that's coming their way i hope everybody is enjoying these nba conference finals because i know that i sure should have only been enjoying one series i think that might be um I don't know if that's a bit of a hot take because if you guys have been keeping up with the NBA conference finals, you know that Miami and Boston is significantly more competitive than Dallas and Golden State, which is the the latter half of that is so, so, so surprising to me. I thought that Dallas and Golden State were going to go blow for blow, bar for bar And I have not been more wrong. Dallas has looked like poop. They've looked like big dookie. And Golden State is looking like they never left. They're looking like how we remember them from a few years ago. Just a super dominant force on both ends of the ball. Who are really just taking advantage of Dallas. In every feasible way possible. And one thing... That's really concerned me. And by the way, I am, of course, recording this on a Tuesday, which means that by the time this goes live, the Dallas Mavericks may very well be eliminated from championship contention. They play Tuesday evening or Tuesday night, as it is here on the East Coast. And things are not looking good for them. Uh, I don't see them making a comeback in really any meaningful way. Um, I just have a hard time. I just have a hard time believing that they're going to make any meaningful adjustments because the way they're playing is how they've played all year long. And there were a lot of people praising Jason Kidd for how he you know, made adjustments against the Phoenix Suns and how he outcoached Monty Williams, which, yes, to a degree. But I think that Phoenix, Phoenix, very much like my Brooklyn Nets, did more to beat themselves than Dallas did to beat them. Uh, Golden State is not fucking around. And it's clear that Steve Kerr is very... It, he's still one of the premier coaches in the league. He's still one of the... He's just one of the most... um. One of the most... I'm trying to... I can't even think of how to describe him. He's just so well thought out in his game plan. And he's so... He's not afraid to get a little wacky. On defense. I mean, it through these first four games, through these first three games, pardon me, Luka Doncic has seen multiple different kinds of coverages every time he touches the ball. Sometimes Golden State blitzes the screen. Sometimes they only hedge the screen. They typically blitz when it's either Jordan Poole or Steph Curry, uh, their man, screening Luka. That's really the only time. I've seen them blitz. They run box and one quite frequently. They go to zone defenses quite frequently. And they're really just stifling all of Dallas' options outside of Luka, which is not something that's happened that frequently throughout this this season. I mean, after that rocky start to begin the year, Dallas turned the ship around. They were kind of like the Boston Celtics of the midwest or the deep south whatever the fuck however you want to geographically categorize texas and i think they went like 35 and 12 or something over the final half of the season really just immaculate basketball on both ends of the court but as we know in seven game series there is a lot of time for coaches to devise game plans against your star players and dallas has not responded well to Golden State's pressure, one of the things I noticed that I think is really, really limiting Dallas's effectiveness is how stagnant they've become on offense. Like you look at this roster, you look at Lu- you see names like Luka Doncic, you see names like Jalen Brunson, Spencer Dinwiddie. I mean, Dorian Finney-Smith has played spectacularly all year, really up until this point. Um, same thing with Reggie Bullock and. DFS is still playing relatively well I'm not trying to uh, I'm not trying to shit on him by any means but Golden State is effectively like hey we're just going to take away everybody else and cuz we know Luka is not going to be able to beat us despite him having 102 points through 3 games Dallas is in a 3 game hole and it's because Luka simply it's not that Luka doesn't have help because on paper Dallas does have the talent to contend with this team it's just that their way of utilizing this talent is non-existent they don't know how to bring this group of guys together to be effective which I think is something that Steve Kerr has done exceptionally well and is one of the reasons why Golden State is still one of the premier teams in the in the NBA, and it's because they know how to best utilize this group of stars. Everybody from Steph to Clay to Wiggins to Jordan Poole to Draymond Green, even everybody off the bench. You know Robert Kaminga, getting whenever he gets minutes, Nemanja Bialica, Everyone is just so ready and so familiar with the game plan that they can he can just pick and choose his matchups game by game. And this is, of course, exceptionally true on defense, but much like in the Phoenix series, Dallas is shooting themselves in the foot. And I don't know if they recognize this. I think everybody else has recognized that Dallas's offense is entirely too reliant on the three ball this series. They are living and dying by the three ball. So far, about 50% of their attempts have come from three they've attempted two hundred and thirty nine shots a hundred and thirty eight of which have come from three I think that's either like fifty one or fifty two percent it's just about half which i don't know what it was compared to their regular season total but it's very it's very rare to see a team be this success to see a team be successful for prolonged periods of time when their three point rate is I'd say above like 45%. Dallas during the regular season had a three-point attempt rate of about 44%, which was 5th in the league, and they are just well above that. And the issue is that one, these shots don't they don't force Golden State's defense to react to anything, which hurts them more than anything else because when you have an offense that gets ball movement that gets player movement, that just switches up the looks on offense, that can sometimes pigeonhole the defense to one specific defense. And the Warriors, as I already mentioned, are throwing multiple coverages at Luke and multiple coverages at Dallas. And it's because they're settling for just bad threes. Granted, not all of these threes are bad. Like if Reggie Bullock or if DFS gets an open three or... If Luka gets an open three, or if anyone gets an open three, that comes at the end of a very a very robust possession that actually features set plays in the half court. That's a good three. And sometimes those are not going to fall. It's just the nature of basketball. You know, sometimes you just have bad night shooting. But Dallas has had a poor night shooting every night, except for the first half of game two, which, as we all remember, they wound up losing because they were too reliant. On the three ball. And the threes weren't falling. The threes were not falling. They're playing too much Luka iso ball, which you can get by with in the regular season because teams aren't so... They're not game planning at the same intensity as they are in the playoffs. Like, let's just be real. In the regular season, you do some light game planning, but ultimately, when you're going up against a guy like Luka or Giannis or whomever, there's really nothing you can do Like You just have way more options in the postseason when you have multiple nights to game plan for a specific player. And a lot of the times, Dallas will just let Luka dribble the ball and settle for, you know, I say a shitty shot, but for him there really is no shitty shot even though he's not a particularly great three-point shooter. He settles for shots that Luka can make, which is fine. But again, you're not applying any additional pressure to the defense. I think I saw a statistic on NBA.com that said that Dallas passed the fewest times per game of any team in the postseason. And it's clear that their offense is really not much of anything at this point. I don't know, I don't know what's going on in the locker room, but the fact that we're three games into this series... And Dallas has not, you know, changed their approach in any way. It's kind of worrying. And I'm not even a Mavericks fan. It's very worrying for me just as an outside observer. And I've, I I know this frustration firsthand because I am a Brooklyn Nets fan. And it's the same shit that we've seen, that Nets fans have seen all season long. Where the offense is isocentric. And that doesn't fly in the playoffs. It simply does not fly in the playoffs where every defense left and every, especially every defense left in this conference finals is an elite defense. Like these are four, I'm pretty sure these are four of the five best defenses in terms of defensive rating playing against one another. And that's prevalent in the Miami Boston series. And I mean, truth be told, Dallas's defense has been, you know, decent at times, but they're just like, they're not doing enough on offense to offset it. And then what happens when you don't get good looks on offense? If you settle for bad perimeter threes, you get long shots, you get long passes. I mean, long rebounds, pardon me, you get long rebounds. Um, You don't have the ability to set your defense. And let's not forget, again, Dallas was like the fourth most efficient defense in the league. So they're not getting time to set and play to one of their strengths because Golden State is just gobbling up every rebound and getting down court with the quickness and um another thing what was i just about to say oh fuck oh when you another thing that you don't have the luxury of doing when you run such a stagnant offense that's predicated essentially on one player is you're not making golden state exert energy on defense like The whole reason that teams run motion offenses or, you know, run offenses like how Greg Popovich does or like how Steve Kerr does and how all of like Popovich's disciples run their offenses is that you get the defense moving around, shifting from side to side. You try to cause chaos. Like you try to manufacture points, right? There's a difference between scoring points and manufacturing them. Luka going one on one. Is not manufacturing a bucket because he is a walking bucket. Like, he's going to score 50% of the time anyway. You just live with it. But manufacturing points comes from running sets in the half court, running Spain pick and rolls, running flex action, running motion action, running pin down action, running an elevator screen, just opening up shots for the non-superstar players, opening shots for Reggie Bullock, for Dorian Finney-Smith, uh, figuring out a way to get Jalen Brunson into the paint, figuring out how to get Spencer Dinwiddie going downhill. Stuff like that has really hampered Dallas's, um defense as well as their offense because Golden State, we all knew going into the series that Dallas was going to have a, the most difficult time defending Golden State on offense. And Steph Curry has proven that all of those shooting woes that he suffered in the previous series are effectively non-existent now. I'm just looking at his numbers here. 49% from the field, 48% from three. Good for 28 points a game. Absolutely ridiculous numbers, of course. The three-point shooting is particularly staggering because that's well above anything we've seen from Steph Curry at any point. I mean... Listen, guy is the greatest shooter of all time, but like 50% on some of the shots that he gets, you got to remember, he's not taking the same kinds of shots that Steve Novak, Kyle Korver, JJ Redick were taking. This guy is taking pull-up threes off the dribble with two guys draped on him, and he's still converting almost 50% of the time. Of course, What happens when Steph Curry is playing at this level, and even when Steph is not playing at this level, all of the extra attention that Dallas has to devote for him is exposing their biggest issue on defense, and that's their lack of size. Dallas does not have a significant interior presence. They don't. They have Maxi Kleba and they have Dwight Powell, who are their two best interior defenders at this point. I know that both of them are very good on that end of the floor. They just don't have the size or the athleticism. Well, Dwight Powell does. He does have at least the athleticism, but he's not seeing a significant amount of time. Maxi Kleba, because of what he gives them on offense, being able to space the floor, has been really their de facto center at this point. But even he's like 6'9", 6'10", like, he's not a particularly big guy. He's not crazy athletic either, and he's kind of not just him, but like they're all just kind of getting manhandled by Andrew Wiggins by Draymond Green. I mean the defensive the, the the rebounding margin is plus 15 or plus 14 for Golden State. That's that's an insane discrepancy. It it's a it's it's insane straight up. It's in, it's an insane discrepancy. Like Dallas is not getting any second chance points. They're just They're having the most difficult time. And of course, they're giving up second chance points on defense, although not really because Golden State's efficiency is fucking astronomical at this point. I mean, when Kavon Looney is in the game, it's effectively a wrap. There's no one who can deal with him on the boards. It's just, it's insane. And when you have Kavon Looney around the basket, yeah, he's not that great of an offensive player. But if you're giving him easy looks around the basket off of offensive rebounds, he's going to punish you. He's going to punish you. Like, dude has 40 points in three games on 78% shooting and 11 of Golden State's 29-team offensive rebounds. Like, guy has been an absolute hassle. Of course, like, Andrew Wiggins getting into the paint, Draymond Green, you know, doing Draymond Green things. It's just been... It's been a rough series for Dallas. And I think... I don't know how much of this is you know, rooted in their play and then like how much of it is rooted in just them being so inexperienced when it comes to just deep playoff runs in general. I think some of this will change in, um, the later years. I'm just really curious to see also like how us on the internet view Jason Kidd after, um, this performance, because he is definitely not exempt here. Like who who was I talking about? Who what team was I talking about in this regard? I know it was definitely Brooklyn, but you need to be able to put your guys in positions to be successful. Like I I mentioned that at the top of the segment, and Jason Kidd is not doing that. Straight up. Like there are there's just so much there's just so much that's wrong with Dallas. Um I was significantly more confident Heading into the beginning of this series, but I think Golden State is just proving that they're they're a world ahead. Warriors going to the finals, a hundred percent. A hundred percent. Um although if they did if they did collapse dude, if they blew this lead, I think that Steph Clay and Dre would have to retire. Who will win Heart Heat? Who will win? Uh, Chatters asking who will win Heat or Boston. Oh God. I think as it stands right now, Boston. I think Boston has enough to beat Miami. It's just weird. It's just it's so hard to pick because of all of the injuries. Like we don't know who's gonna play for either team at any given time. I mean, what's going on with Tyler Hero? What's like, what's going on with Jimmy Butler? I mean, as far as we've seen, Jason Tatum nor Jalen Brown haven't had any, you know, serious health concerns. Jason Tatum did have that weird shoulder injury, where he went to the locker room and then came back immediately. So I'm thinking like he just had to use the bathroom when that happened. But oh God. It makes more sense than having the Heat in a finals without LeBron. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Like The Heat, as great as they are, I don't think that they have the same perception as other contenders because I don't think that people view Jimmy Butler in the same tier as some of the other guys who are contending. Like, Steph... Jason Tatum, and it's weird because Jimmy Butler is a freak. He's a demon, especially in the playoffs. But I think that because the regular season is so much longer than the playoffs, like the perception that he's built there as being kind of like he's like a low volume superstar who is an excellent defender, but doesn't have the same stats comparable to um, like LeBron, Kawhi. Uh, chatters asking Steph is so so good but he's lackluster in the playoffs sometimes what's with that I think that depending on their opponent the Warriors sometimes or Steph in particular does struggle with physicality not because he's not able to play physical but because he's just a smaller guy and sometimes there are just teams that they go up against where the guards are just good enough to defend um to defend Steph. Um yeah, it it's it's really weird. Like it's it's hard to say how much of it is just the player skill or how much of it is like the circumstance. Because Steph, as you already mentioned, um Steph is playing well now, but just one series ago, I keep forgetting who the fuck um Golden State played in uh the semifinals. Memphis. But like he struggled against Memphis. Like I'm just looking at his stats now. Forty one percent from the field 33% from three I think that athleticism and physicality sometimes bothers Steph as it does every other small guard like Kyrie Er Kyrie doesn't play particularly well against physicality um yeah it's it's really hard to uh it's really difficult to pinpoint I think if we see a Boston Warriors finals I think that Steph is gonna struggle with his efficiency because he's going to be guarded by Marcus Smart. God willing that Marcus Smart is healthy. But Kyrie dragged LeBron to that one finals win. That's true. That's true. Like that's why it's it's so hard to it's it's so hard to gauge and also talking about Kyrie like he underperforms in the playoffs sometimes but I mean he made the game winning shot in 2016 against the Warriors. Sometimes it's all about matchups that that's really all it is. It's all about matchups. it's about players being healthy as well like there's just there's so much that goes into it. It's also like Steph is gonna have an easier time or a hard time depending on how well golden State's offense run offense offense is running collectively like the less attention that opposing teams can give to guys like Poole or Wiggins or Clay the less attention that they're receiving, the more pressure is going to be on Steph because he's going to be routinely facing two three guys. Like in a series like how um like how Dallas Dallas Golden State is going, you can't get away with sending all of this pressure at Steph because you're getting 21 from Wiggins, you're getting 17 from Jordan Poole. I mean, Klay Thompson his numbers haven't been particularly great, but let's not forget Klay Thompson can Klay Thompson can hit like three, four, five threes in a row. Remember when Dallas beat LeBron? Yes. Yes, I do. That was, um,
1: who was I, who was I talking about when I was comparing, was it Phoenix? Yeah, LeBron in that series was just that was 11 years
0: ago. 11 years ago. Chatter, I don't know how old you are but i myself have a difficult time remembering like the specifics of that series cuz i was like 13 i was i was like barely a human watching that but all i can remember is that lebron was playing like sasha vujačić i don't remember i like i have to go back and watch now because just in, in terms of like discourse regarding lebron that series is so instrumental to who he is as a basketball player that I think it'd be really neat to just go back and see how Dallas defended him and of course like I'm not trying to overlook Dirk Nowitzki either I mean Dirk isn't Dirk Dirk is an all-time great yes JJ Barea was Dallas's point guard at the time I think Jason Terry was on that team as well just a good team but one that I think many people were shocked. I think many people were shocked to see it happen. And to see just like how brutally it happened. I was so happy. I was so happy for Dirk to get that win. Yeah, it, it was awesome. It's always awesome seeing guys like Dirk. Just people who go their whole career. Who just go their whole career with constant... I don't want to say constant failure because Dallas was like not one of those teams who failed constantly, although they did get upset by the golden state warriors back in, uh, what was it like 2007 or 2008? Yeah. I mean, Dirk Dirk is a legend. Dirk is a legend without a doubt, but yeah, like every superstar throughout the course of NBA history has had to deal with what LeBron had to deal with. Like just being on the biggest stage and falling short, I mean, Chris Paul and Devin Booker just had to deal with it. Like, it's exceptionally rare for someone to come into the league
1: and be be so. How do I how do I word this? Be like as revered as
0: da- as Dallas as Miami was with LeBron, Wade, and Chris Bosh. Like, it's hard to live up to those expectations. Every superstar falls short at sometime all of them do like it's very rare for them it's very rare for them not to I mean even the only the only one who jumps out at me as like not really failing that hard off the bat was Kobe Bryant and of course you know as great of a player as Kobe was there is always an element of luck involved in any championship run the Lakers got lucky that they had Kobe becoming Kobe right at the time that they had Shaq, like, but then even after that, like, who, dude, who expected Detroit to beat LA in 2004? Like, it was just, it was insane. But um, that was a mighty long tangent. I do want to shift over to um, the Eastern Conference Finals just for a second to touch on the absolutely bonkers inconsistency that is Miami. And Boston I we anyone who's a basketball fan everyone who's a basketball fan knows that basketball is a game of runs especially nowadays when the offenses are so dynamic they're so high powered like it's not uncommon for teams to put up 8 10 12 points in two three minutes but it's just as easy for the other team to do to do the same thing this series is that, but on steroids. I mean, Boston opened up Game 4 on like an 18-1 to 1 run, I think it was. Like, both of these teams have been able to put up 15, 18, 20, 25 points. Ooh, pardon me. With with such ease. Of course, some of that is a mixture of the talent of the team, the talent of their respective teams, um, the coaching staffs of their of the respective teams. I think that... Eric Spolstra and Imei Yudoka um, deserve more credit for how they've handled this fucking super insane series, this super, like, almost cartoonish Eastern Conference Finals. And then some of it, as I already mentioned, comes down to nobody knows who's going to be present for any game. Is Jimmy Butler going to play? Is Robert Williams going to play? Marcus Smart, Tyler Hero, Kyle-, Kyle Lowry. Like, all of these guys, all of whom are legitimately playmakers and like cornerstones for their team. They're not always present or they might not be present or if they are present, are they going to be at 100%? It's just so it's just so difficult to game plan for. However, one thing that I've noticed that really bothers me. And this is about Miami and I really don't have much to say about Boston or at least I don't have many critiques of Boston, because even the games they've lost, it's been relatively close. They lost game three by six. They lost game one by 11. But listen, JB had 41 in that game. Miami is doing this weird thing where they are completely neglecting Bam Adebayo on offense. And I don't understand why. It does not register with me how they're almost just like actively avoiding him offensively. I don't know how they got away with it in game one. Well, I do because, again, Jimmy Butler had 40. But Jimmy Butler had 40. Bam had 10 points in game one. He took four shots. Fast forward to game two. Miami gets curb stomped by 25. Again, Bam has six points on six shots. Victor Oladipo took more shots than he did. Max Strus took more shots than he did. Gabe Vincent took more shots than he did. Duncan. Uh, I don't, actually, I don't want to talk shit on Duncan Robinson. I think he's gonna. I think he's crucial to what Miami is trying to do. Caleb Martin took more shots than Bam than Bam Adebayo. Then it switched. Game three. Eric Spoelstra has his team in the huddle and he's like, guys, I forgot that we had Bam on our team. I somehow forgot about our seven foot center. Who is an All-Star caliber player and also a Defensive Player of the Year candidate, and also might land on an All-NBA team. This was probably Bam's best performance in the postseason. Guy had 31 and 10 on 15 of 22 shooting. It was the first time he's cracked. Th- yeah, the first time he's cracked 30 all playoffs long. It was a playoffs high for him, and what happens? when Bam is involved in the offense. Well, naturally, Boston has to game plan for a guy who can play in the post, play on the perimeter, facilitate from the top of the key, facilitate from the elbow, facilitate out of the low post, out of the high post. Like, and on top of that, Bam wasn't even like, oh, complicating things. It was get the ball, go to the bucket, score. Get the ball in the post. Score. Um who was out this game? I think yeah. Robert Williams did not play in this game, but ultimately I really don't think that mattered because Al Horford was still playing, Marcus Smart was still playing like it's just you can't you don't have the luxury to avoid Bam Adebayo on offense. Like I think it was in game 2. I'm watching and I'm watching Miami seek out Struess and Vincent on the perimeter. I'm watching them try to get shots, try to manufacture shots for their two three-point shooters. And I couldn't understand why, because you have Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. If I'm in the first, if I'm game planning, or I'm, you know, I'm in pregame, I'm in the locker room. My game plan, and this is kind of like a meathead uh kind of a meathead thing for me to say, because there is way more intricacy than um there there's way more nuance to the game plan that I'm trying to talk about, but like I'm looking at JB and BAM every time down the court. Like you as the Miami Heat need the ball to be running through Jimmy Butler almost exclusively when he's out there. If he's not facilitating, the ball has to touch his hands every time down the court when he's on the court. And I think the most effective way to do that is to utilize him and Bam in pick and roll, in, I don't know, maybe like some high-low action because Jimmy Butler can play with his back-to-the-basket as well. I mean, dribble handoffs, cuts, like transition, there are so many ways. And there are just—Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo are two talented of scorers— to be passing up shots for Max Struess, Gabe Vincent, Duncan Robinson, Caleb Martin. Like, when those guys are on, when JB and Bam are on, and they're playing how they're supposed to be playing, Struess and Vincent, all the three-point shooters are going to get shots that they're more used to getting. They're used to getting the ball kicked out to them from Jimmy Butler. They're used to taking spot up threes. They're I don't know how used they are to getting their threes as the focal point of the offense. Like that's what's that's what for me is Miami's big adjustment is to be is to have Bam and Jimmy be more actively involved. And listen, I don't know what the fuck was going
1: on with um Am I bugging? Jimmy Butler did play yesterday. Did he? Yes, he did. Okay, I'm, I'm, man, I'm, like, fucking,
0: I'm dumb. But, like, again, although game four for Miami was just, like, a total fucking, a a total shit show, Bam has to, Bam has to get more than five shots, man. Jimmy Butler was three or 14, but at least he took 14 shots. Okay. And listen, when you play as badly as Miami did that night, you'll take your suit you'll take your superstar, you know, giving you anything. Just trying to apply some pressure on the defense. But Bam can not only get five shots. You're letting Boston off the hook by not pressuring by not pressuring the back half Of their defense and I know it's easier said than done because Boston is an elite defense and they have you know Al Horford and Robert Williams and Derek White and Grant Williams and everybody we we all understand that Boston is a fantastic defense but great players like Bam Adebayo are still able to contribute even when faced with elite defense I mean this dude did have 31 a few nights ago is it feasible to say or is it feasible to expect Bam to average 30 against this team? No, I don't think I don't think so. But he shouldn't be below his season average. Like he averaged 19 points during the regular season. He's down to 14, which includes that 31 point performance. Like you should be at or around your regular season scoring average. Like I just I don't understand. I I, I don't know. I think that also game 4 was kind of just like an outlier for Miami. I think that they were just kind of caught off guard and they were never able to recover because sometimes that happens. Like sometimes you just get smacked and there's nothing that your team can do to get back into it. I mean, it happened to the Warriors against Memphis. Um, No team is exempt from having these, these just like historically, these historically bad
1: um, these historically bad offensive performances. I'm trying to think of like everything else to cover because there really isn't much more that I have to say about
0: the conference finals. I mean, we can react to some news, but there really isn't like This—the playoffs outside of, like, playoff commentary and commentary on the actual games is very dry. It's very dry. I mean, the NBA announced all defensive teams, but, you know, featured the same guys who we would expect it to feature. Um, Marcus Smart, um, Giannis, Robert Williams, you know, Draymond Green,
1: Rudy Gobert, everyone who we expect to see. Um... Oh, let's see. (laughs) Chatter just... Chatter just sent me a link to the
0: 2011... The 2011 NBA Finals. Brother. You are... Are you are you a Mavericks fan? Like, do you live in Texas? This is awesome. Oh, uh, let's see. I don't even really want to look at LeBron's numbers because I know I know how bad they are. <laughs> let's look at let's look at this doubt here. Let's go. Uh, yeah, let's go to let's go to stream cam. Let's look at Dallas's roster. Dirk. No, but I hated LeBron back then. Why did you hate LeBron?
1: I'm curious. I love. I love, um, I just, I love
0: enjoying or learning about people's disdain for specific athletes, especially like superstars because LeBron, and I can 100% see it. Like I can 100% see why so many people hated LeBron and still hate LeBron because this dude went to fucking 10 finals. So if you were a fan of any team in the Eastern Conference, he were 23-
1: Okay. So we hate LeBron because of his jersey? (laughs) Were you a Kobe fan? Or a Jordan fan? Jordan, Kobe, same person.
0: Basically, that's another thing. I think I've noticed that the biggest LeBron haters are Celtics fans. And for obvious reasons, Celtics fans, um, Kobe fans, just because there was that whole LeBron Kobe rivalry during the during the um the early 2000s, and uh, Jordan fans, because Jordan because LeBron is really the only guy where there is a universal consensus who is challenging MJ for the um the greatest of all time title and did it on national TV that he's creating a super team and bailing on his own team. Yeah, that that whole thing, not, not for me. Um, what did it for me wasn't him leaving. It was the way he did it, which as I've grown up, as I've matured, um, I've realized that this was the fucking... It was, without a doubt, the weirdest way to go about... Um, to go about announcing that you were leaving. Like, and I don't know... I, also like I don't know if younger fans like zoomers in particular understand like the gravity of the situation but it would kind of be like it would kind of be like if Steph went on IG live and was like oh hey I'm leaving the Warriors I'm going to go play for uh Denver or somebody it was very tasteless I do I do agree I do agree that him broadcasting it was tasteless Um, even though I believe there was some connection to the boys and girls, um, one of the boys and girls clubs, I think it was just very, it was very odd, but it was also a weird point in time for the NBA where they weren't as they weren't as the league itself was still years was still a year was still a few years away from peak relevance wouldn't you want to stick it out and stay with your own, t- uh, stay with your own team? Given how lucky you are to play for your own home, in this is, I love, I love this question because in most cases, I do think that athletes should remain loyal, and I say in most cases because LeBron's case is very interesting. The Cleveland Cavaliers treated LeBron like shit. They did not go about team building with the same sense of urgency that other organizations did with their superstars. The Bulls surrounded Michael Jordan with immense talent after he got his ass beat multiple times by the Pistons in the late 80s. Uh, They went out and they got Scottie Pippen. They got Horace Grant. They got B.J. Armstrong. Um, Who else? Uh, Golden State. Golden State, of course, drafted particularly well, but they were able to find guys to compliment Steph Curry and develop those guys into, you know, superstars, all, in, all you know, all-NBA caliber guys. Um, the Cavaliers, they went out and they got LeBron, Zydrunas Ogowskis, and Mo Williams. Now, no disrespect to Zydrunas no disrespect to Mo Williams. I don't hate him now, mind you. Yeah, that listen, I'm, I'm totally cool with, like, I'll admit some of the hate I had was irrational. Oh, listen, I'm not. I'm not also like trying to sit up here and be like, oh yeah, I've never felt disdain for any NBA player ever. No, like it's just, it's it's natural, especially if you're a fan of a team and you know, it's just with how sports operate. But it's like I've also transcended like my hatred for athletes because like ultimately they're they're just playing basketball. And LeBron has also passed that phase in his career. Like, he did that thing. He left Cleveland, won a couple titles with Miami, but he did redeem himself by going back in 2016 and righting all of his wrongs. Also, it did help that the Cavs kind of built a better team around him the second time around. I think Cleveland also recognized that they fucked up the first time and it was just like a bad look all around. But LeBron is like 38, he's got four titles. Like, He's beyond that. Now all of like all of like the basketball media scape is shifting their attention from LeBron to the new crop of superstars. Like Giannis, Tatum, Luca. I mean Steph, like people were hating Steph too. And people are gonna hate Giannis. It's just the natural progression of it's just the natural progression of sports. Unfortunately. Um especially when you have a guy like LeBron who is so, who's just like so incredibly dominant and so much more dominant than
1: anybody else in the conference. Um, Let's get back, let's get back to this. uh... Yeah, that's, that's something that I I can't really answer. Uh, Chatter asks,
0: If LeBron would have gone back to the Cavs, if he didn't get as much backlash, it's hard to say. I think it's kind of it's definitely cause and effect. Um, he would have one hundred percent went back to Cleveland at some point, but would that have again? Would that have been during his prime when he could have actually helped them win a championship, or would it have been after, as kind of just like a ceremonious? thing where he goes back and signs a one-day contract with Cleveland or you know like a a one-year um like a one-year contract for his retirement tour it's uh it's hard to say I don't think that LeBron will um will ever admit to either or I even when he's retired like I just I don't think that that's ever going to be something that people talk about oh my god bro fucking remember Joel Anthony Bro, that man is a legend. Joel Anthony is
1: 100%. is 100% a legend. Derek White's
0: new dad energy helped the Celtics earn a much-needed win. Bro, the dialogue surrounding Derek White. Motherfuckers were, like, straight up telling him to... They were like, yo, Derek White... Honestly, fuck your newborn baby. You have to go play for the Celtics in game 2 of the Eastern Conference Finals. That shit is insane. Sports fans like we really do deserve the least. We we are absolutely we are absolutely the worst people. Oh my god. There is nothing more that I love than listicles from Bleacher Report just absolutely peak content. This is written by Grant Hughes. It's titled, Five NBA Players Who Will Be Overhyped, Overpaid in Free Agency. And the featured image is James motherfucking Harden. Jim Harden himself, who, let's not forget, almost got $48 million from the Sixers. And the only reason he didn't was because he picked up his option too late. Oh my God. After his epic collapse in the postseason, after Philadelphia got the fuck out of there, oh, dude, it would have just... It would have been... I mean, he's still probably going to accept it, and the Sixers are going to have to live with it, but... Man. Man. I know LeBron was only responding to Boston super team when he joined the Heat, but still, yeah... It left a bad taste. No, it did. We are we are 100% in agreement with that, and you know, especially juxtaposed to how Boston built their super team, like trading for KG. Um, I can't remember. I think they signed Ray Allen. I don't remember, but like they didn't. Uh, yeah. Like every everyone knows that it was it was necessary for LeBron to leave. It was necessary for him to leave. But the way in which he did it was not the best. It was 100% uh, in bad taste. So, James Harden, like 31 years old, about to t- is about to take $50 million from the Philadelphia 76ers. I very much love it. Um, I love... I love praying on the downfall of my enemies, and James Harden is certainly one. Of course, I'm only talking about in the basketball sense. I don't wish anything bad upon James Harden IRL. That'd be fucking... That'd be weird. But listen, bro. I... I just don't like watching the Sixers be successful. I don't like watching the Celtics be successful. And it's for no other reason than me being a Nets fan. Like we, th- There aren't many rivalries in the NBA... There aren't many notable rival rivalries in the NBA, especially compared to um, like baseball and football. So I had to manufacture my own. So I just fill myself with hatred towards Boston and Philadelphia. And the fact that, oh my God, the fact that, holy shit, the notion of paying Harden $270 million on a five-year extension is terrifying. And an opt-in with a four-year $223 million extension has only slightly less potential disaster. I love this. I love it so much. And I only love it because this is not happening on my team. And I know that it sure as shit would have happened if everything stayed kosher between Brooklyn and Jim. Um, But unfortunately, it's soured. DeAndre Ayton restricted. This is already a bad take. Um... I don't, I don't understand how anyone, what the fuck am I doing? Um. I don't understand how you can say that DeAndre Ayton is going to be overhyped and overpaid. It's never great for a player's earning potential when he gets yanked from an elimination game at 17 minutes, yada, yada. He's still going to be overpaid. Um. Relative to, to who? do I think LeBron lived up to the number twenty three he once wore um i guess like i don't i don't get I don't get caught up in like the the number stuff like the the jersey number stuff like I think that LeBron is in the same tier as michael jordan yes i i think that I think that answers your question.
1: By the way, I think LeBron had to play KD's super team on the Warriors. Um, yeah, nah,
0: yeah, he did it. And they got fucking, they got smushed. They got smushed because it was just LeBron. Kyrie wasn't there anymore. Um. Anyway, back to DeAndre Ayton, who I already made a video about. Um, what? I- DeAndre Ayton, whom I already made a video about I think that deandre I think that Ayton is one hundred percent in the right to earn a max contract um it was just it was just a bad look for him, and Phoenix in general getting fucking yeah, oh my God, we're talking about Kyrie okay, we're not talking about Kyrie anymore i'm gonna I'm gonna go back to uh talking with this chatter. people should leave k d alone. Yeah, although I kind of like that people uh, bother KD on the internet because I like when he uses Twitter. I think he's very funny. Uh and I also think that sports fans don't get enough shit from the athletes. I think that the athletes should dunk on sports fans more often as like a way of humbling them. Um we're in the era of super teams. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Like there there's no there's no getting around it. But KD's KD KD had his LeBron moment. Like not The exact same way that he did but in the sense that it was a move that was kind of suspect but also the way that people value championships and how rings culture has permeated every avenue of basketball discourse like guys are making moves for the potential impacts on their legacy they may say they don't care about their legacy. They may say they don't care where they stand all the time, but I think they do. I think most of them do because you're in a competition. You compete for a living. Like You're competing to be the best and you want to be the best. And if there's a situation that you can enter that allows you to add to your legacy, you're going to do it. To just... To act like that's not a reasonable a reasonable career move is just like it's it's just insane. It's insane. 100%. Kyrie Irving, oh god. You know, I think that I should talk about Kyrie a little bit more. Um because this guy is
1: so fucking polarizing. He is so He's just so
0: talked about for so many different reasons. Of course, obviously, there was his whole um, not being with the Nets for half the season because of his reluctance to get the vaccine. There are his injury woes that we have to deal with. Um, but I didn't talk about this when it happened, but Sean Marks effectively said that we are not confirming nor denying our intentions to potentially re-sign Kyrie Irving, but how they're going to talk. They're going to sit down, they're going to talk, and the one thing that I've always believed to be true was that in regards to Kyrie, this whole COVID thing, him missing half the season because of the vaccine mandates, that is a one-off situation, I feel like. Of course, his injury concerns are valid, but when it comes down to paying a guy max money, You'll pay them max money and live with the injuries. And you'll live with the injuries because of their talent. Like when Kyrie is on the floor, the Nets are a championship team. Or the Nets are an even stronger championship team. Um, If it's not injury or personal reasons or refusal to get vaccinated, that prevents Irving from playing next year. You've got to assume he'll find some other reason to be less available than than. Um, GM Sean Marks would prefer this is just having a hate boner for Kyrie like straight up you're just a hater and that's okay that listen Grant Grant this is who wrote that article Grant it's okay you're just a hater though because I don't feel that this is a legitimate concern I don't feel that like Kyrie is one day just gonna wake up and think oh I have to go to uh fucking Kazakhstan to go worship to go to go fucking worship the temple of their leader. I, I don't think that Kyrie is intentionally missing games for other personal reasons. And if that is the case, then yeah, I would be like, Hey, don't sign him. But also the Brooklyn Nets are the ones who allowed him to come back and play. So what, what is, what is your leverage in this situation? If Kyrie comes to you and says, hey, I don't think I'm going to play, and you're like, don't worry, we're not going to ask you to play. And then he's not playing, and you're like, oh, hey, can you come and play? Like, the whole... uh, I don't like when people try to add morality to this situation, because basketball teams are trying to win championships. And if they can make a move that allows them to win a championship, they're going to do it. But I don't think that... Kyrie is going to be overhyped or overpaid because this guy's an all NBA kind of talent. On um, Bradley Beal player option, this is absolutely fascinating. Uh, In fairness, Beal led the league in scorings two years ago and hasn't had a knockout supporting cast at any point in his career, but we're talking about a quarter of a billion dollars for a soon-to-be 29-year-old with a ton of mileage. For the Wizards to make that kind of commitment, there shouldn't be any question that Beal is an Apex-level superstar and will continue to be one for several more years. Uh, In the wake of Beal's non-All-Star season, during which he played 40 games and averaged 23 points, the Wizards have a ton of questions. Washington could soon create a best-case scenario in which Beal signs the richest contract in NBA history, yada, yada. I I can see Washington giving Beal a max contract, but I I, I, I don't know if Bradley Beal wants to stay in Washington and waste these final years of his prime on a team who is going to struggle to win 30 games. I, I, I don't see it. Bradley Beal is someone who I can see taking a little bit of a pay cut to go to a contending team. I don't know what contending team that will be. Um, it could be a way of a signing, uh, sign and trade. I don't know if he winds up in Philadelphia. I don't know if he winds up in Minnesota. I don't know if he winds up with the Lakers, with the Clippers. I just know that I think it would be best for Bradley Beal to go and find work elsewhere. Because... If he really does want to win a title, it's sure, shit not happening in Washington. Uh, the final guy on this list is Anthony Simons. Never trust anything that happens down the stretch of a team's tanking season. So Anthony Simons was one of the better, the the better players in the league towards the end of the year, of course, with Dame not playing and the Blazers just being a total train wreck. Um, to his credit, he seized the opportunity, averaged twenty three points and about six assists, shooting pretty well. I didn't realize that his shooting splits were that, were that nice. Uh, The 22 year old looked very much like a cornerstone and top executive Joe Cronin cited the need to create a runway for Simmons when explaining his cost cutting moves at the end of the deadline. Now this is when this is one of those situations where you're going to take a chance on Anthony Simons. If you're the Blazers, I think, and there, I don't really think there's anything wrong with, Playing a young player or with paying a young player who has proven his value the only thing that I find interesting about the situation is and as the author pointed out is that this was kind of a fluke I don't want well I don't want to say it's kind of a fluke but Simon's got an opportunity and capitalized on it I don't think there's any other way to I don't think there's any other way To point it out. I mean, for the season as a whole, averaged about 17 points, averaged almost four assists, shot 40% from three. I mean, are they stellar numbers? No, they're not. But are they decent enough numbers to get a max contract? Maybe not one season, but let's not forget that, you know, CJ McCollum made a lot of money with Portland, and he statistically was not that much better. Then Simons is now, so you figure Simons has one more good season, okay? figure he's got one more good season on him I could see him getting I could see him getting paid. I could see him getting paid at that point um what's next, man? I want to talk about some other shit. I want to talk about some other fucking basketball stuff. I would talk about the draft, but I'm like super disconnected from it I don't even know what the fucking lottery is. Um oh, they don't have the uh nice. Nice. Thank you for that basketball reference. Um Yeah, I'm like super not locked into the draft at all. Have I seen the Jordan Doc? I did. I watched it a couple years ago.
1: Um I love shit like that because it is it was i don't i don't want
0: to say that it was a puff piece for michael jordan but it was certainly something that he had quite the hand in producing um it was definitely exceptionally biased towards jordan which i'm not surprised because it was his doing it was something that you know it was something that he wanted To put out there, especially for all of the younger folk who are coming up and learning about the NBA. Um, I think that he did it so that the younger generation... Did I learn anything? Uh, No, I didn't really learn much. I mean, it was like behind the scenes type shit is always cool, but it was really nothing it was really nothing that i remember that really stood out um i think if you're a seasoned nba fan like you kind of knew all of this stuff you knew that jordan was you know obviously a, a world class talent and still remains one of the greatest of all time you you know that he's someone who um helped bring basketball into the global spotlight played a huge role in expanding it overseas um was just an icon, a literal icon and still remains an icon to this day. But there was nothing that really, there was none that really jumped out at me. I think it was mainly just for like Jordan to show himself to the younger generation and maybe like just to give them the same level of access that they have with all of the current superstars like LeBron, Steph, Giannis, like he doesn't, he doesn't want to be lost to time. And he never will be like he'll like Michael Jordan is Michael
1: Jordan will live on forever. A hundred percent. He just Yeah, he's he's an icon. A hundred percent. But yeah, I thought it was cool. What's this? What's that? Steph Curry
0: will replace Magic Johnson on Perks NBA Mount Rushmore if he wins the title.
2: Warriors are looking to sweep the Dallas Mavericks tonight in the Western Conference Finals. They're up three games tonight. It would be Golden State's first sweep if they pull it off. Since the 2019 Western Conference Finals against the Trailblazers and the Warriors would head back to the NBA Finals for the first time in three years, but the sixth time in eight years. According to uh, the Caesars Sportsbook, Golden State is the odds-on favorite to win the championship. Since Steve Kerr took over as head coach, the Warriors have yet to lose any playoff series other than the NBA Finals. That's a pretty good stat on Kerr. I, I, that's that's impressive. Hey, uh, we're back with.
0: we Will
1: win between Warriors and Boston. I think. I think the Warriors. I
0: really. I. I. I just don't want to see the Celtics win a title. Straight up, that's the only reason I'm rocking with Golden State. Of course, Golden State does have all of the makings of a team that can win the title. But what's putting me over the edge is I just don't want to see Boston win.
2: J.J. Redick and Kendrick Perkins. Uh, perk, uh, again, we, we, the disclaimer is they still have to win one more game to get to the finals. Mm-hmm. But no one's ever come back from 3 nothing down. We know this. So looking good for the Warriors. If they get there and they win another title, what does that do for Steph Curry and his place in history? Oh,
3: hey, Dan, J.J., I need y'all to keep a cool booty on this one and listen to what the hell I'm about to say, okay? Well, when it comes down to Steph Curry, if he he goes on to win another championship along with a finals MVP, one is going to put him in the top ten conversation of greatest player of all time. Two is going to move him as the number one point guard to ever play the game. And think about this. I want you to think about this. Steph Curry, Michael Jordan, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and Whip Chamberlain are the only guys, are the only players in NBA history to win multiple championships, multiple scoring titles, and multiple MVPs. Steph Curry will imprint and be now on NBA Mount Rushmore. When you think about a generational talent...
0: Okay, this is juicy. This is juicy. Um, Tatum's in his prime now. Jason Tatum is... 23, I think he's still not as good as he's going to be. I I sincerely believe that. I think that Jason Tatum has another year, another year or two before he fully realizes his potential. Maybe not as a scorer. Like he might've peaked as a scorer and like, this is what he'll look like. But in terms of like being a facilitator, being a more consistent defender, that's what he's going to have to be in order to in order to transform into like an MVP candidate. But getting back to perk, Kendrick Perkins, Kendrick keep a cool booty Perkins saying that Steph Curry will unseat Magic Johnson as his fourth person on Mount Rushmore is kinda shocking, right? Because we really don't see many old heads say this about the game's younger stars. We 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 don't, straight up. Old head old heads most of the time they're haters. But you cannot look at Steph's body of work and not compare him to guys like to guys like Jordan and LeBron. Steph is undeniably the greatest shooter that the NBA has ever seen multiple time MVP winner will have, uh, what is it, three or four titles? I can't remember off the top of my head, uh, 2015, 17, 18. Yeah, so he will have his fourth title if he wins this year. Um, will have his first finals MVP because he's had a couple stolen from him by uh, KD and Andre Iguadala. And I think more than anything else, he has had the biggest impact on the actual game of basketball that we have ever seen. Never before has there been a player who has single-handedly and entirely altered how basketball is played. Magic Johnson had a similar impact on the NBA, but he played a brand of basketball that was non-replicable. He did, however... Institute a level of entertainment, a level of sexiness, a level of uh, showtime, obviously, and just helped make the NBA more mainstream. I mean, before Magic, NBA Finals games were on tape delay. And then after Magic, the league was an international sensation. Steph, he might not have saved the NBA from collapse, but he turned the NBA into something that I don't think anybody foresaw and how the entire league adapted to how he plays.
3: That has changed the game for forever at a point guard position. He made shots that would put you on the bench cool again. And think about this. His three championships, who were they won against? LeBron James and Steph Curry has been a disruptor, breaking up happy homes. You think about the 3-1 lead that the Oklahoma City Thunder team uh, blew against them, and all of a sudden he broke up Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook, and KD went and joined him to have to win the championship. So look, with Steph Curry, the green-eyed assassin, if he goes on to win a fourth NBA title with a Finals MVP, forget the top 10 list, forget forget the greatest point guard of all time. He's going to be on the NBA Mount Rushmore.
2: Period. Yeah, that's unbelievable.
0: Should they make the court bigger and the three-point line further? No. I think that um no, I don't think that there should be any change to the size of the basketball courts. Um the the basket height is fine. I mean Realistically, 99% of people would not benefit from that. Like, there are only a handful of guys that are shooting from 28, 29 feet. And I think if anything, especially making the court bigger, that would be hugely beneficial to um, like FIBA, FIBA players. Because Luka Doncic just talked about how it's easier to score in the NBA. And one of the reasons why that is is because the court is bigger than it is under FIBA regulations. I think that if the NBA is looking to make changes, it shouldn't be to, like, the specifications of the court. It should just be relative to the game. Really, though, if players are breaking the game then? Yeah, but only one guy is... It's really only Steph. Like and there will never be another Steph Curry. There will be players like Steph Curry. There will be players that do similar things to him, like Trey Young. Uh maybe I don't want to say no, but I can't really see I can't really see a world in which that happens. I think before they did anything before they do anything like that. They'll have to change how they'll have to change other facets of the game like the officiating they'll have to change how the game is officiated um they'll have to change certain rules like um goaltending or like once the ball touches the rim it's live like how they play over in europe so that way if someone does if someone is breaking the game or you know taking these insane shots if the ball hits the rim and starts bouncing around, you can swipe it. You can swipe it off the rim. Like do things like that before you start altering like the sizes of the court and other things like that. Because that would affect everybody. Whereas Whereas other rules like officiating rules will only affect a small amount of people. Like if you allow the game, if you allow players to be more physical. That's a, that's a huge thing. That's a huge thing that they do over in Europe in particular. Like The physicality in the EuroLeague is way higher than it is in basketball. And in theory, the more physical a player is on defense, the more tiresome it is to run an offense. And then you don't really get all these crazy shots. You don't have all these high-efficiency players. So... That's uh, that's effectively effectively my take on that.
2: Unbelievable! Uh, Mount Rushmore is four spots, as everybody knows. And but Kendrick's got he, he's got his money where his mouth is. He even told us who he would bump off Mount Rushmore to put Curry on there. And the answer is Magic Johnson. So JJ, I, I don't know if you can see this. He's got Jordan, LeBron, Kareem, and now Steph Curry. This assumes five more wins from Steph Curry and the Warriors uh, this this in the coming weeks. But uh, mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on that? Well. But we're all getting <coughs> getting a little ahead of
4: ourselves because I think the Celtics are going to win the championship. But anyways, uh, Perk, <laughs> oh, Steph's AJ, that's already cringe, a top 10 player to me um, and should have I'm a finals a, yeah. MVP. Look, he's the only guy that's averaged 25-5-5 and 5 on a winning team in the finals and not won MVP. He's done that three times. He should have won in 2015. He's a top ten player and he changed the game. I agree with all of that. <clears throat> When we talk about the Mount Rushmore, those guys are ultimately judged by MVPs, finals MVPs, and championships. Magic's got three MVPs, three finals MVPs, five championships. Kareem has six MVPs, two finals MVPs, and six championships. He's not bumping those guys off if he wins more and wins one more finals MVP. Um, and Look, I think he's in that next tier already when we talk about Wilt, and Bill Russell, and Larry, and and, uh, and Tim Duncan, Kobe, of course, Shaq, like, those, are the, those are the guys that are in that mix for spots five
3: through 10. But to me, Magic is, is still gonna be number four. Well, 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 JJ, let me tell you something. First of all, this is not an individual sport like boxing, boxing and tennis where championships <laughs> define your legacy. This is a team James, game. Bro. Now, championships help define your legacy, but when you look at his individual greatness, When you look at him being 6'2", not being able to to live above the rim, not being an athletic freak of nature, and doing what he's doing, the pure dominance that he has put on this game from his shooting ability, being the greatest shooter of all time. Like you said, averaging 25 6'5 5 for his career. At the point guard position, changing the game of basketball forever, J.J., how can he not bump somebody out of the Mount Rushmore? We get so caught up in the NBA championships, and I get all that right. They do matter. They help enhance a, a person's legacy, but it don't define. This is a team game. I, I, I've,
4: I've been saying, Perk, for the last seven months since I signed a deal with ESPN, that basketball is a team sport, and players are not just defined by a championship. I am so sick and tired of ring culture. Unfortunately, when we talk about the Mount Rushmore, that plays a major role, and you know that, Perk. And of course, Steph changed oh, my, the game, my. but his size has nothing to do with whether or not he deserves
3: a, 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 a top four spot on the Mount Rushmore. That doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make any why, sense. Why does it? Why does it? Tell me a guy that's been that dominant at that size, that changed the game. He's been dominant at what he do. We haven't seen a guy like Steph Curry ever. Ever. His size You're right. Matter. We have not we have not
4: seen a we have not seen a player like Steph Curry. He is one of one. I agree with you okay. on that. I agree with you on that.
3: So his size do
0: matter. <laughs> what the fuck? Thank you for watching. That was a weird ending. I can't wait for the evolution of um legacy or NBA players' legacies over the next decade. Because I want to see if people um begin to recognize the fact that championships that are being won now are i don't want to say they're i don't want to say they're tougher because i think that it's it's always been hard to win the championship what is tougher though is the fact that there is more and more talent coming into the nba and how because of that it's harder to get to the championship it's more rigorous i believe I believe it's more rigorous to get to the championship. Like there are not there is not going to be another dynasty for a few more years. And you know, three championships in the 2010s when you're going up against whether it be Giannis or Kawhi or LeBron or whomever like how do you how do you compare that to the championships that Jordan won in the 90s? For example, against Phoenix, against Utah, or Magic's championships against like the Celtics or the Sixers or whomever, it's uh, it's very difficult. But when you do, when you start talking about um, the Mount Rushmore of the NBA, you have to talk about the most important figures in the history of the NBA guys who are almost who guys who are tied to the sport like synonymous with it is the best way when you think of basketball you think of Michael Jordan and LeBron i think that Jordan and LeBron are the two goats they are at the top of the goat pyramid they're not there by themselves however but Later, bro. It was nice. It was nice. Uh, it was nice. It was nice chatting with you. I appreciate you coming to hang out. Um, when it comes down to being synonymous with the NBA, you have Jordan, you have LeBron. The next couple of spots are a little tricky. Kareem, obviously, Magic Johnson, now Michael Jordan. i Steph Curry. I mean, I, however, think that most people would not drop Magic Johnson but instead would drop Kareem because Kareem was prominent during the 70s, during the 80s but the Showtime Lakers were not Kareem's team I don't think I don't think that people perceive them that way when you think Showtime when you think the Lakers when you think of basketball in the 80s you think of Magic Johnson and then when you think of basketball In the 2010s, you think of Steph Curry. I would not approach it from that way. I'm still good on Magic, LeBron, Kareem, and Jordan. But, you know, Steph is making a case for himself. Especially, I think even if he doesn't win a championship this year, he still has that case because you cannot argue with the fact that he is the most influential player that
1: the NBA has ever seen. Uh what else is there? What else is there? Well,
0: I think uh I think before I close it out, we're going to chat about uh, we're gonna, we're going to chat about a little Formula 1. We haven't talked about F1 in a minute and that's because I haven't wanted to because um I haven't really been watching the races. It's just like it's, it's hard for me to catch the races that aren't early in the morning. So any races that are in the United States or races in Canada and Mexico City, it's tough for me to catch in the afternoon. I do prefer the European races for that reason. Like I can wake up at eight o'clock, watch the Grand Prix at nine o'clock and then just be on with my day. Uh, however, I was able to catch the Spanish Grand Prix, Grand Prix, Grand Prix, Grand Prix, the Spanish Grand Prix. I was able to catch it. I think that my girlfriend is bad luck. And I hope that she doesn't um, hate me for saying this, but we were hanging out Sunday morning and she doesn't usually watch the races with me. Um, Mainly because I haven't... This is like my first full season watching Formula One. I caught the second half of 2020, but this is the first year where I'm like actively tuned in, where I'm making a point... To watch Formula One. And she's watching the Spanish Grand Prix with me. And of course, my guy, Charles Leclerc, Charles Leclerc, had to retire due to engine failure. Now, the reasoning behind the engine failure, um, I don't like Ferrari have confirmed, but I don't think have actually confirmed. They said that it was just, I think, a durability thing, and they were expecting it to make it to Monaco, and it just never did. Unfortunately, but she watched this race with me and the only other race that she had watched with me was the Imola Grand Prix, which of course featured Charles Leclerc spinning out late in the race and dropping down from, I think it was second to seventh or something. Every other race so far, we didn't watch Bahrain we didn't watch um I don't can't even remember the fucking I can't even remember the uh the race schedule we didn't we didn't watch Bahrain together we didn't watch Miami together we didn't watch Australia together um, yeah oh it was Saudi Arabia we didn't watch Saudi Arabia together and each of those races Charles either won. We're finished in second. And the two races that we did watch... He finished... Um. Oh, what did he finish? Third or something in uh, Italy? Either way, he should have won. I, ca- I can't even remember because the sprint qualifying like fucked up all the points. But regardless, he-, he choked in Imola. And then we go to Spain. And he has this issue. Now, from this point forward, I'm at a crossroads. Do I not hang out with her on Sunday do I have her go somewhere else in the house so that way she cannot be present I'm not a superstitious guy but this is making me superstitious this is making me very very superstitious but of course I was I was gutted when it happened because she had turned to me like literally a lap before and she's like what happened with the dude that we were watching the other week and you got all upset that uh, he spun I'm like oh he's in first right now and then his fucking engine blows out all I hear is all I hear is Crofty being like oh and Charles going very slow in the Ferrari oh bloody heavens oh goodness this is not great it looks like a power failure for Ferrari I'm like oh god man, just so gutting anyway with that i'm gonna go ahead i'm gonna close it out thank you guys so very much for coming to hang out with me today as always be sure to uh, follow me on all social media platforms twitch instagram twitter everything will be linked down in the description below of course subscribe to the youtube channel where i go ahead and i chop up these episodes to make them a bit more consumable um i'm live every tuesday at 2 p.m eastern of course if you're listening to this uh, as a podcast Uh, be sure to engage with it however your podcast platform allows you to tell a friend about it if you enjoyed it tell a friend about it if you didn't enjoy it all press is good press and with that i'll catch y'all in the next one